Such a great word of God that it is. I'm Kendi Easley. I'm the executive pastor here at Bethany. And I'm really excited to be speaking to this last in our parable series in which Jesus has told now like dozens of parables. More are coming that we're not going to cover. But in this one, he's doing something where he's trying to connect what is presently happening and what's going to be happening in the future. And this reminded me of an experience I just had with my dad, who's 88 years old. And over the past few months, we have said goodbye to three really significant people in our family in that generation. So I was hanging out with my dad and he had gotten out a photo album. And it was probably for many would be called a vintage photo album. It was leather bound with black pages and the little corners. Anybody remember? this. We have to stick the picture right in the corner. Well, in this album, it was actually hard to tell what generation are we looking at? Like, was this my mother? Was this me? Was this my sister? Was this my kids? You know, we're looking up close because there were really fun times that were happening. They looked the same. It was a lake party. It was, it was a birthday. But uh, what I got to thinking about was how this perspective, generation to generation, is Jesus' perspective. He's in the present, and yet he knows what's to come. And as he's with his disciples in this parable, as with other parables, he's trying to kind of invite them in using a word picture. He often spoke in these parables, and it kind of gave room for people to put themselves into the story and to imagine where it was going to lead. It also was a way to not alert authorities that he was actually bringing a word that was going to change even like the world order, change the way people viewed their lives. So these parables were almost like surreptitious little messages that people could interpret. So today we're going to look at one of the few parables in which Jesus said, this is what the parable is about. This is, I'm saying this, I'm giving you this parable in order that you will persist in prayer and not give up. So he just puts it right out there. This is the point. And then at the very end of the parable, he says, but will the son of man, when he returns, find faith on earth? So somehow these two things are connected. And that's what we're going to explore today. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak through your word. And so I ask that you might draw us near to you, that we might come to understand you and ourselves in new ways today, that you might use this word as a word of encouragement, as a word of hope, as a word of persistence and invitation, and God, that you might uh, create your kingdom through us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to put up a slide about the various titles of this parable. If you opened up several different Bibles, you might see that the interpreters have given a different name to this parable. It sometimes is called the parable of the persistent widow. That was in there, right? She's the first person in the story. Then it's sometimes called the parable of the unjust judge or the parable about the judge and the widow, putting them both together, or a parable on prayer or justice for the faithful. It's all in this one story. It's almost like you could put on a different lens and look at the parable through each of these lenses. 
we're gonna take three approaches. First, we're gonna look at how Jesus encourages persistence, like the quantity of our prayer through the persistent widow. Then we're gonna look at the idea of quality, and this is a contrast. The quality of the one we are speaking to is not the unjust judge. So we're gonna look at what Jesus says, like, don't be like this. And then thirdly, we're gonna look at the connection that this might be lived out on earth as it is in heaven. We're gonna see that what Jesus is describing and hoping for is that when the son of man, Jesus, returns, he will find faith on earth. He will find that this connection from heaven to earth as we just prayed in the Lord's prayer, like it's there. So he wants the answer to the question, will the son of man find faith on earth to be absolutely, and that's why he's speaking this parable. So first, we're going to look at quantity. The quantity of the prayers and petitions of this woman is affirmed. And I don't know how you might feel about persistence, but when I think of the word, it has a little bit of a negative connotation. Like on a summer vacation, kids in the back seat saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? When are we going to be there? When are we going to be there? Just keeping on asking the question. Or maybe it's the badgering of, can we get a puppy? Like either a child asking the question or a spouse asking the question. Can we get a puppy? Or maybe a teenager saying, or a motorcycle or a third car. Or maybe you've been someone or heard someone say, don't leave me, don't break up with me, please. Don't break up with me. Or I have a friend who asked his now wife, four times if she would marry him. It was no, maybe, maybe, and finally, yes. Just kept asking. You've probably heard of athletes who've tried out for a position and they've been refused and refused and refused and then they get hired and turn out to be a star. I heard of someone who took the state bar exam to become an attorney 30 times before he passed. Could you imagine? I mean, after like time number 15, don't you think maybe God has a different calling for you? (laughs) I personally had, my husband and I really wanted to have children. We went through all kinds of hopes and infertility and in vitro and then adoption opportunities and God did eventually bring children, but it was hard to keep asking. Jesus is affirming our prayers, our asking, our persistence, all kinds of prayers from parking places to partners. They're all welcome. Pray persistently. But for this widow, she had a particular prayer. It was a prayer for justice. And she was going to someone that she thought could provide justice to her. What was the issue for her? As a widow, she probably did not have an income. She was probably dependent on the community because women couldn't own property. Women couldn't have jobs for pay. She was probably dependent on her family, probably the eldest son or a second son. Or maybe if she had no sons, she was fully dependent on the community. She, it says she had an adversary. We don't know who that adversary is. She probably depended on something like gleaning from someone else's harvest. And 
I have you ever been to a U pick? I love to go to U picks, particularly raspberries. And July was the time. It's usually over by the end of July. There's a place out in Carnation. They only open a couple days a week, and it kind of depends on the weather, depends on the harvest. But you'll go out there. I went out on a Wednesday and went down a row. They put a flag up, and you go down the row, and then that row isn't going to be picked until the next day that's open. Well, it was open again on Saturday, and I went again because it's so amazing to explore and find these like gigantic raspberries. By the end of July, you have to kind of look under each vine and, and look for it. And that's how widows would glean when what was left behind on the harvest. So landowners were told, that was kind of the rule, you can only go through your harvest row once and you have to leave some behind so that the widows can come along and, and they can harvest something to live by. So there's something that's gone wrong in her life and she's somehow dependent and, and she finds that it's unjust. It's, so she just keeps saying it. We have issues of injustice in our midst as well. Racism, ageism, the justice system sometimes incarcerates people who shouldn't be there. I've heard of witnesses who just lie, maybe for money. The law enforcement system, do, they ha- do, do our law enforcement officers have what they need to do their jobs? There's ethical issues, moral failures, practices and policies that are unjust. Even here at church, we were doing some research in our human resources department, and we were trying to explore whether our pay for our church staff was fair, was adequate, was like, how did it compete in the market? Were we where we wanted to be, which was to be generous? And we had the access to this database. And one of the qualities that we discovered was, in the database, we were asked, did we want to know the rate of pay for men or for women because there was a 20% difference. Same job, different pay. What did we choose? Yeah, they said, do you want to merge? And we said, no, we don't want to merge. We're going to take them. If a man gets paid this amount, shouldn't a woman get paid that same amount for doing the same job? It's an issue of justice. A few years ago, after my mom died, my dad wanted to purchase a condo in a retirement community. He had the money. We found one he liked. He had the mental health. He had the physical health and mobility. But he had a history of being a cancer survivor. So we got a telephone call. And like the deal was about to go through and he's going to purchase this new home. And we got a telephone call that said, I'm sorry, he can't move in because he has a history as a cancer survivor. I mean, this was for a community where you had to be, I think, 60 or over. And, you know, aren't there some other people in the community who were cancer survivors? Like, or maybe who could get cancer in the future? This wasn't written in the policies. So he's an attorney. I'm the eldest daughter. We just kept asking questions. Who, do you have a manager that we could speak to? Until eventually I got to the owner of the property. And he said, okay, we'll call a meeting. And I remember exactly where I was. I was up here in Seattle. My dad lives in San Francisco area. My sister was in a different state. And it was four o'clock in the afternoon. He said, the meeting will be tomorrow at 11 o'clock. And one of the things we need to know is, would either you or your sister actually support your dad if he got sick? Well, it felt like the challenge was down. I found a flight, I got myself down there, and we sat in the meeting and just kept asking, 
is this actually a policy that you apply to everyone? Or have you selected out my dad as somebody who can't live in the community? We eventually sort of badgered our way in to where they looked at their policy and said, we can't set a policy for one person. If we say this cancer survivor isn't allowed, wouldn't that be the case that no cancer survivors were allowed? And so he got in and he's lived there for 10 years and he's actually on their promo materials now. (laughs) So over time, this woman's persistence wore down the judge so that he ended up granting her request. The idea behind this in the Greek is the Greek word anadea, which means same, shameless audacity or bold persistence. If you trace that word back, you'll find a Hebrew word called chazutzvo, which can mean tenacity. And another word for that is chutzpah. Have you heard that word? I grew up with a Jewish friend, my close friend, and her mom used to look at us and say, that's chutzpah, girls, and she saw it as a really good thing. It's persistence, it's strength, it's an unyielding tenacity, bold determination. We might call it grit. This woman had chutzpah to keep asking, to keep going back day after day. I love to walk around down in Green Lake. It's in my neighborhood. And I have a favorite coffee shop that during COVID got really creative because instead of being this welcoming community space where people could sit and enjoy their coffee, they had to figure out ways where like one person at a time could come in and order and dogs weren't allowed anymore. And maybe they had to bring their coffee, to, your coffee to the door. You had to order online. The other day I went, it's open now, revolution down the street. And I asked the owner, hey, you guys seemed really persistent. You seem really tenacious during COVID. And I'm doing this talk on persistence. How do you see persistence? And he said, persistence is tenacity with a dose of stubbornness. And I love that. He said in their uh, coffee shop back in the back, they used to have this big bulletin board, kind of a whiteboard thing. And what it said was, to the employees, you know what you should do. It's sort of just inviting that kind of persistence. You know what you should do. This is kind of a grit, keep after it. So the result of her chutzpah was she got a response. Even the unjust judge responded. Jesus talks about prayer this way. Uh, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. In Greek, it has kind of an ongoing, keep asking, keep knocking, because God wants to respond. So now we turn to point two, the unjust judge. It's kind of a tongue twister. It's the quality that we're looking for is not to be an unjust judge. When Jesus first spoke this parable, his listeners would have been kind of surprised, scratching their heads, like how could there be such a thing as an unjust judge? Because the very quality of being a judge is to be a righteous person, to be someone the community respects, respects your decisions, respects your wisdom, someone that community can count on, who's trustworthy. And yet that's not this judge. He says about himself, I neither respect God nor people. That, what, what, are, who, what does he value? Himself. He evidently values what's good for him above all else. 
And so this woman who's so persistent finally gets to him and he says, I just, she's really bothering me. Like, I just need to quiet this down. This is too much. As Megan read it, I heard again, he's worried that her anger is going to get so uh, extravagant, so big, that she's going to attack him. This word for persistence, it's almost like making him black and blue, like she's just keeping after it. So the contrast here is that in prayer, we're not speaking to an unjust judge. It's absolutely the opposite. How much more? Will God respond to his children, to those in his family, to those he's chosen who are calling on his name? We read in Matthew 7, Jesus says this, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He wants to give good gifts. So this is the call to persistent prayer, not because persistence is particularly fun, but because of the character of God, because of the one to whom we are invited to be persistent. This is a theological kind of reorientation of thinking of and knowing and experiencing God as a generous God. As a father who is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? I've seen so many examples in our community of people who feel reluctant to pray. Why? I've heard and experienced a case of a woman who didn't want to tell others or ask for prayer when she learned she was pregnant because she was so afraid she might miscarry. It's the opposite, friends. If you miscarry, don't you want someone to walk with you through that? Don't you want to know that you're not alone in your grief? And if you carry a child through to term, don't you want someone to celebrate with? I've experienced and have known people who are embarrassed to come forward to, for prayer because they don't want to admit that they hate their job or their spouse, or they want to change, or they have no job, or no financial work, or they have financial worries. Do you wait until things are better, until the problems are solved, before you tell anyone? Because maybe you don't want to be a burden, or maybe you don't want to admit how big the problem is. It's the opposite. God says, let your requests be made known. Let God and others know what you're going through. Perhaps you're secretly at war with yourself. I've seen this as well. An anxiety that's caught you in a cycle, even a cycle of self-destruction. Or maybe you love somebody who's in a cycle like this, or you're the parent of someone who feels that way. Let your requests, let your reality be known to God. We're invited to put our life into God's presence, like into God's hands. The scripture that I love that says this so well is out of Romans 12, the message version says this, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. 
Take your life just as it is and place it before God. That's prayer. That's what we're invited to. Now, you may be feeling like, uh, that sounds good, but I'm not sure I can make that connection. I think that's Jesus' invitation to trust. This is where he makes that connection between prayer and faith. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. This is our third point. This is what Jesus teaches when, when they, the disciples said, how do we pray? He said, pray like this, pray the Lord's prayer. Speak it out to God, acknowledge who God is and invite God's kingdom in you and on earth. And he gives some specific, forgive people. And here's another uh, way that Jesus puts it. When the son of man returns, will he find faith on earth? When the Son of Man re-enters into history, what will he find? The reformer John Calvin uh, makes this connection for us. He says, prayer is the chief exercise of faith. You'll notice that Jesus doesn't say, when the Son of Man returns, will he find prayer on earth? He says, will he find faith on earth? So there's something about prayer and faith that makes this kind of connection. Prayer is that connector. It's a relationship. It's a conversation. It's sort of a posture of hope and humility. Like, you're the creator. I'm the creature. Here's my life. Help help me connect. Teresa of Avila was a nun in the 1500s, and during that time, not only was there a great reformation going on in the church, but there was great political upheaval in her day. And she says, prayer is nothing less than being on terms of friendship with God. Are you on terms of friendship with God? Maybe you think, you know, I used to be, like back pre-COVID, God and I were on pretty good terms. Or maybe you feel like, well, if God would do this or that, I'd be friends with God. If things would go this way. Maybe there's something happening in your life that you feel, well, if only this would get resolved, I I could step back into relationship with God. I had a professor at seminary. His name was Dr. Loder, and he used to say this to us as students who, I would say we're going through times of doubt during seminary. We were learning all these things about God that were fabulous, and we're also learning things about, like, who wrote this scripture and that scripture, and why is it here, and what does it mean, and and lots of arguing about that. And he would say this, if you can't pray, pray that you could pray. And if you can't pray that you could pray, Pray that you could pray that you could pray. And it just kind of keeps going. If you can't be in a conversation with God right now, say to God, I can't be in a conversation with you right now. You can read this in the Psalms. or There's like people shaking their fists at God saying, I don't know. I don't know that I can trust you. I don't know that you are for me. There's a novelist who wrote the diary of a country priest who was a country priest, Georges Bernanos, and he says this, the wish to pray is a prayer itself. Like, I wish I could pray. That's a prayer. It's a, it's a way of kind of an assumed listener in God. 
So Jesus asks, when the son of man returns, will he find faith on earth? And what's the answer that he's looking for? Yes. He's looking for his disciples to say, yes, Lord, you will find faith on earth. You will find us acting like that widow, persistently praying, persistently seeking justice, persistently hoping that there is a hope that does not disappoint. Persistently hoping that these stories, this reality, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, that it's real. Yes, you will find people of faith. And I believe they lived into that because it's 2,000 years later and we're gathered here in Jesus' name on the shoulders of people who persistently prayed. So yes, Lord, you will find faith on earth. Will you find it in us? Will you find us on our knees? Will you find us up here writing in prayer books or speaking to a prayer minister or or just worshiping with our whole heart? Will you find us acknowledging that you, God, are the righteous judge? That you are the provider of healing and meaning? That you're the master of hope That you're the promise keeper. You're the prime mover. You're the one who was before the beginning. And the one who will be at the end. You're the great lover of our souls. You're the one who holds the book of life. The one who speaks things into being by your word. The one who gathers us under your wings and invites us to the great banqueting table. To your table. Yes, God, you'll find faith on earth. A friend pointed out to me, someone who I think embodies this whole thing, and we'll close with this story about Harriet Tubman. You may know her. She's soon to be on the $20 bill one of these days. Harriet escaped slavery. She and her mother and her mother's mother had all been slaves and her grandmother was the one who had been had brought been brought over on a slave ship from Africa. As a teenager, Harriet was somehow in the way when her slave owner her threw something at another slave and it hit Harriet upside her head and and caused an, a serious injury from which she recovered and yet also inspired her Honestly, I was so surprised to see that she prayed for that master daily as well as planning her escape. When she escaped, she had two brothers with her and they, were, they had crossed over to a free state when her brothers decided it was too risky and they went back. And Harriet continued on her own. She made that trip as a part of the Underground Railroad over 19 times. She wore all kinds of disguises as an old woman, as a young man, and she was never caught. And she led somewhere between, they say, 70 and 300 people to freedom. She became a Civil War spy and scout. She was a devout Christian, a nurse, a suffragist, a wife and mother who opened an elder care facility and gave her estate to that facility to continue to house elderly and people who were homeless. She said this, God's time is always near. He set the North Star in the heavens. He gave me strength in my limbs. He meant 
that I should be free. She had a kind of a grit, a persistence where she counted on God to be on her side. And this is what I will close with. She said, I said to the Lord, I'm going to hold steady on you and I know you will see me through. I'm going to hold steady on you. That's the connection with God who provides, who's holds steady on us. Harriet was illiterate her whole life, and yet she lived a life that connected heaven on earth in ways that will inspire for generations to come. So people of God, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in us? Please pray with me. Great God, wherever we are tonight, uh, today, whether we're sort of bargaining with you, like we'd be friends with you if, or whether we've maybe given up on you and prayer is just sort of wishful thinking, or whether we are celebrating a way that you have provided in a marvelous way, God, we ask that you would enter into our lives in new ways, whether they're terrible or tragic or unfair or unjust whether we're full of apathy or passivity or exhaustion or fear or disappointment or anxiety or we're just numb. Lord God, come into this place with us. Come into our hearts for we want to lean into who you are. We want to be close to you. We want to believe that you're there. God, we do need you. Let us speak those words. Draw us close to you, we ask in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.